live. Hello and welcome to the Time and Place, the Gospel Conversation Show, where we try to apply God's word to God's world. Uh, I'm Julian. Solomon is not in today. He's taking care of some dad stuff, so he is indisposed. We're coming at you from the home studio, aka my bedroom, and we're joined by a special guest today, Mr. Darren Doan. Darren, how are you, man? Man, I'm doing so good. This is so cool to be jumping on with you. I know we've been watching each other for a little while now. So, man, I'm I'm just super pumped to be here. Dude, I'm so stoked on this. This is you I you and uh Chase Jarvis. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but uh I'm you not. guys tell me about him. He's a photographer who does uh brand work and I was watching a video about him and he put out a book called The Best Camera is the One You Have. And (laughs) his philosophy was, you know, your iPhone is better than any camera that any great photographer has ever had in history. So if you want to be a photographer and you don't have a camera, you have one in your pocket, use your phone. I love it. So that kind of started with that. And then you had the same philosophy for filmmaking too. The iPhone is one of the best film cameras you can get right now. So why not use it? And that, that really kickstarted me into kind of getting into, um, I guess I would call them short film or content, whatever the kind of stuff I make was just my family, trips we take, stuff we do like that. So, yeah, that really got me I love motivated. It. I mean, that's the best training too, man. I mean, I think, you know, having to be spur of the moment or kind of in the moment and then composing, I think it's just such an underrated skill. You know, there's there's definitely a skill of going somewhere, setting things up and, and that process and that craft, and I have a lot of respect for it. But, man, to be in the moment and trying to compose – and be in and be out, meaning you're in the moment, but you're out composing, you're putting the camera down, or you're documenting. That's a whole other craft, and I and I think it's if if, if you can hone that in a little bit, it, it's just a phenomenal skill set. Yeah, and it's really perfect now. I feel like now is the coalescence of like with iPhones and GoPros and and just all the rigs that you can get and stuff. It's perfect to just like go go right now, whatever you got to get. I love it. I love it. So uh, for everybody who doesn't know, why don't you give us a little background on you, kind of what you do now, how you got there? Yeah. So, you know, I always like to say I'm a filmmaker by trade. Um, That's kind of what I've done for a living as far as an actual categorical skill set. I wanted to draw comic books all throughout junior high and high school. Um, Just didn't get hired as I was leaving high school. I couldn't find a gig doing it. Um, Wasn't going to college. And filmmaking was kind of my backup. I loved filming. I had a video camera all through the 80s, now 1990 when I graduated high school. All my friends were in bands growing up. I love music videos. I was like, well, I should just start trying to do this. So I was like, I'm going to be a music video director, um, which just meant I was going to do bar mitzvahs and quinceaneras <laughs> and weddings. And, you know, that that became, you know, the area I grew up in, you know, large Hispanic area. So, I mean, I was doing quinceaneras all the time and it was like, you know, so I had, you know, literally going from bar mitzvahs to weddings to quinceaneras to, you know, uh, just if anyone had an event, it was just I was just trying to I was just trying. I was just gigging. I was so I ended up being like my friends that were in bands, like which was mm, always mm-hmm. my that was my mentality, which was you just took every gig. <laughs> You're right. You gig, you know, and uh, music videos eventually or not eventually I mean, took off pretty quickly. Um, because I was the only kid around that was like a kid. And when kids started making music bands like Blink-182 and all this pop punk that was now mm-hmm. going to become the mainstream, um, proximity matters. I was the only one around. And it was like, we have to make a music video 
there's this guy down. He's kind of our age. We should make it with him. And of course, when you're brand new, you're the cheapest as well. So it was this, this merging of those two worlds. And then that just took off and it went from pop punk bands became pop bands. And then I'd be, I was the pop punk kid, then emo and screamo. And I was always into heavy metal. And so when metal kind of came back around, I knew metal and I love metal. And so I went from, then I became the metal director and I loved, hmm. I loved all that stuff. And then, then you get older and then it was Jason Mraz and Buck Cherry and Zach Brown band and, you know, um, Deftones. And it was like, you know, kid rock. And it, it just, before I knew it, I was old enough. And if you stick around long enough somewhere, you kind of become the man because you just don't leave. <laughs> um, and, Com you know, commercials and some feature films, documentaries, and then all that. And we could go into some of that. But a few years ago, kind of realized that the world had changed. And I sort of started looking at content differently, mm. looking at our phones differently, looking at podcasting, looking at um, social platforms and just realizing for me, it was a great reset. And I kind of wanted to get back to my roots as far as kind of being a punk rock kid with all these bands that were starting out, I saw the whole world having a reset and all the mm. media was now punk rock. So mm. I wanted to apply everything I saw back then that I really liked to what is happening right now. And so me jumping on with you, when you invite me to come on, I don't ask you, well, how many listeners do you have? Or right. what is it? <laughs> to me, it's a gig, right? To me, if someone reaches out, it's a gig. And so this is really practicing what I've been preaching and just what I really love. Like you invited me on. This is like open mic night. Like I'm going to come on <laughs> and we're going to rock it. Nice. You know, it's funny the way you talk about that too with the reset, because that was one of the things I noticed when, when everybody got locked in and TV show production shut down, when, um, when late night tried to keep doing their thing, but from home without prompters, oh. without stages, without an audience, it was horrible. It was it was and so weird. far behind. And yeah. Weird. Like it really was like weird. And, and you're right. That's a really good observation. And like YouTube kids have been doing that since, you know, whenever <laughs> the platform really started. And they're so much better yes. with just the phone. And I it was shocking to see that. That's a you know, and that's um that's a great observation because that falls into kind of some of the things. I've been looking at the last few years, um, even right down to sound recording. I was, I started mm. realizing that there was a generation coming up and I think I'm connecting this to the YouTuber and the late night talk show. The YouTuber knew how to talk in front of their camera in a room with just their audio from their, from their phone. It, it's authentic. It's real. Mm -hmm. And when you have someone in a room all by themselves, with a nice fancy camera and all this amazing sound, it actually felt gross. It felt weird. It was not authentic. And so I do things now where even when I'm doing production, I'll kind of go, you know what, let's just go with the, with the camera mic and let's not mic somebody up. Mm. Because I think now when people hear perfectly mic'd up audio, I think they get a little like they don't trust it. Hmm. You know, because you think about what is authentic now. Authentic is sending your friend a video or your right. mom sending something. Or you, hey, you, like that feels authentic, not perfect mic'd up sound. Like real for us now is like almost eavesdropping in the conversations. <laughs> right. 
Like that's like, it's so, you know, I'm, it's, it's an, you know, that observation or observations that I've been now making and trying to connect the dots on what world are we actually living in now when it mm. comes to media? Right. And that's a, I feel like the, the church in most things since the early 1900s is behind on that. Uh, the ability to like just do stuff, right? Like for a long time, there was this idea of, especially me, I grew up uh, in 90s Christian culture, Christian CCM music and all that stuff. And uh, that's actually probably where I know you from the most without knowing it is from tooth and nail videos and yeah. stuff like that. Uh, but there was always like an alternative, right? Whatever the world was doing, we had to have an alternative. And it w wasn't quite as good, wasn't quite as polished, but we're doing the best we can. Or with movies too, with some of the stuff like, facing the giants or courageous it was trying to do what they did without right. the budget without the actors without the script writers and now like no don't do what they're doing because that's not what matters anymore just do a thing and if somebody likes it they'll find it yeah i've you know i haven't talked a lot about this as of late though but you know i'm almost you know again i became a christian in the mid mid to late 90s in my 20s so i kind of had to get educated on christian culture i mean i knew christian culture i'm i'm an american growing up right. in america <laughs> i know christian culture but the christian subculture was something that i had to i had to learn because it was a new world mm -hmm. right um it was like why do you have all those kids from africa on your refrigerator <laughs> oh okay like growing up like which is kind of funny right like you don't see a bunch of like liberals they're both Democrats growing up with like kids from Africa on their refrigerator. It's really interesting how even as you get into Christian subculture, you start to see things that you don't see anywhere else. Mm -hmm. And they're actually kind of like amazing, you know, like, oh, yeah, those are our eight adopted kids we're sponsoring that we're praying. Right. For. You know, like, like that's only in a Christian subculture. Right. Right. So I had to learn you know, all the new jokes and who you make fun of. And okay. <laughs> was Carmen really as bad as they said? Or like, I'm kind of looking at Carmen from a distance going like, dude's kind of a baller. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, just trying to learn, like, you know, like just, you know, and never losing sight coming to Christ in my mid twenties and really kind of being a culture shaper in some way, shape or form. I was a part of culture shaping, mm -hmm. although I think we're all doing that, but I had more of a some something somebody would say that you're helping shape culture, but I was well aware of that even when, when I got into Christian culture, like, you know, people act like Christian subculture is so bad as if like hot tub time machine was made <laughs> by Christians. Like, like no 50 shades of grade and hot tub time machine are made by the same people. And so bad is still bad. I just think that, the Christian subculture could only finance so much. Right. That what you see are the, the blemishes are easy enough to see. Yes. And at any given weekend, at least before COVID, you know, there was 15 new movies out every weekend and most of them were bad. Mm -hmm. Christian culture had to be like, well, we can only raise enough money. To, so bad is the norm. Like most stuff's not that good. Right. <laughs> and so I think, you know, I was always a little more lenient on Christian culture in, in that sense. Mm, okay. You know what I mean? So I, I, I never hit it as hard as I think maybe some people did, but my point was going to be, as I became, when I became a Christian, the idea was 
Christians got to take the arts back. They got to take filmmaking back, right. all that stuff. And I was like, yeah, cool. I get it. H however, I would say, though, in the last three years, and again, I've not formulated this enough. I actually don't think, and I could still change my view on this. I actually don't think <laughs> filmmaking now is even where, like, like, I don't think that's even where we need to be. I think mm. films are done. I don't think films have any more influence in the culture. Wow. What we're doing right here, this, this is it. Micro content, social platforms, mm. no more gatekeepers. Like, like people are like, we got to make films that are going to like, bro, that film used to be the thing that consumed people that two hours they went home and they thought about it. They processed it. Part two, part three, bro, that film. No, those two hours. I mean, let's be real. Let's pull our phones up and see what our screen time is. Right. So don't tell me those two hours once a week, if you even went once a week to a movie, has the kind of power now and influence that this device has. Mm. I believe if you want to play that game, this is where you want to be. And now that the world will accept a four-hour podcast with Joe Rogan, right? this to me now is where we need to be. And this is that punk rock like you want to be here now, but it's gritty. And mm. so you you got to want to be here on your podcast saying, I'm ready to play every show and do every open mic. This Don't worry about trying to raise the million dollars for the film. I want to see people who really want to affect culture. I want them to have a realization about what we're doing right now. Mm. And that's really that's an, uh, there's an idea I've been working on where I, I'm, I'm looking at things and saying everything's going to be niche. That that mass market yes. appeal that's gone now. What's good about that though is that instead of trying to find an audience, an audience is trying to find something to focus on. Ooh, I like so that. So like the niche I exists. Like you just have to be there when people are looking for it. I'm I'm gonna steal that, Jake. <laughs> this is a great line. Don't think about what audience you're trying to go serve. Realize that there's an audience out there waiting to be served. Yes. Right. Like that that the niche yeah. is there. So let's, let's remember that I'm yeah. stealing that. And what I like <laughs> about that is what is the niche on 8 billion people? That's right. True, like, yeah. like the niche now is like Pokemon cards, mm. right? Pokemon is niche. How many people are collecting Pokemon cards? How many people are listening to Pokemon podcasts? Millions upon millions upon millions. The niche now is to me the greatest opportunity. Mm. That's really interesting. Yeah. And I, I guess part of it is still the hangover of like celebrity culture and the idea of being famous and well known and all that. We still want the, the numbers, right? The ratings and, mm -hmm. right. and all of that stuff. But I, I, I kind of have this theory that Stacey Peralta is the most influential artist of the modern era, I think. Mm -hmm. And I would say most people don't know his name. Break that down for me. I love that. But explain that so stacy peralta from every era of his life has influenced culture dramatically whether it was being one of the original z boys and kind of revolutionizing skateboarding like literally on the street right he's right. on the street he's he's, he's doing ground it. level he starts it right and he retires and he starts the bones brigade and one he finds tony hawk cavalero all those guys but he also starts doing the advertising as kind of a gonzo advertising right. with stesic right and if, if you look in the 2000s, everybody who was reading those magazines in the 70s, 80s, 90s, they're making the ads and gonzo advertising becomes just advertising. 
Mm. Everything's a joke. They're not selling the product. They're selling you the ad. And then it's like Skittles tagged on the end. Like, right. oh, that was I remember that. But yeah, Skittles, whatever. Then he makes the documentary and that yep. kind of reintroduces skateboarding again. At the same time that Tony Hawk, his protege, is coming up and blowing up skateboarding, you have that synergy again. And, and now he's kinda... and he's doing the Dogtown Doc, right? So he makes yes. the Doc, right? And then he gets Sean Penn to narrate it. To narrate right? it, yes. Another cultural icon from that generation. Now your fast times are Ridgemount High. You got right. the Coley. He's but now he's tying those those two things in. You're right. And then and then he starts making big documentaries. Yes. Uh, what was the one? The surfing one, Riding the Giants. Right. Yeah, Riding Giants. Right. Yeah. And he blows that up. So then people know about big wave surfing. He's just had his hand in so many things. And now he's putting all the old uh, skate tapes they made just on YouTube for free. Right. So like you can just find them. So he's right. I, he's so ahead of everything. I, I think he may be the most influential person in media between the 70s and now that nobody knows. Well, you know, it's... um. And then he also, but then he also did the Bones Brigade doc too, right? Yes, yes, he did. Which I thought was just amazing. Um, and, you know, I've had, I've been fortunate enough to, you know, one of my clients and good friends now is, is, is Steve Alba. And, to, okay. and you know, um, and to be, to have access to some of those guys and hang with those guys. And, um, oh, I'm blanking in the, in the, and the Bones Brigade documentary, who is it again? Who's the guy that be, kind of becomes the most famous because he's the one that keeps showing up? Um, oh, um, Lance Mountain. Lance Mountain, right? I've gotten to know Lance. and But when I saw that documentary, I was like, oh, my goodness. Think about the, the lesson you learned from Lance Mountain, right? Mm. Just show up. Right. He wasn't the best. Right. Like... That to me, there is like, I don't know, there's something about the Lance Mountain story for me that 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 I that I was so drawn, just drawn to, like that dude just showed up. Mm. I just, I don't know, I thought it's so inspiring. And I've known Lance now for like over a decade, never knew that part of his connection with everybody. Mm. Yeah, he is that powerful. guy that's really inspiring in that way that he was just there always ready to go like i'll do the i'll do the ad i'll take the picture i'll do the thing light right. my board on fire i'll do it right like i, I just <laughs> and and i think we think now somehow that like that's selling out or not right. now but yes. let's, 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 not now let's say the last 15 20 years like oh mm. i'm not going to be a sellout i'm not going to hold the gatorade sign like i mean like <laughs> what like and then you look at lance mountain you're like that dude's like i'll hold the sign right like, you know, I mean, I was thinking about this, you know, my, my dad would always say to me, he'd sh kind of just shake his head and, you know, kind of old school little Mexican dude. And, 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 and my, my, my dad would always say to me, like, like you're, you bought a shirt to promote somebody. He thought that was the funniest thing. He said, growing up, if you said like, like, if you wanted to have your company name, you, you gave it for free. Right. Like you're paying huh. to have that. I mean, we are all walking billboards, right? right. Like this idea of like I mean, selling out, like it's just really funny. I'm wearing like giant Coca-Cola hat everywhere oh. I go. Yeah, I like Coke. <laughs> <laughs> what is your nationality? Uh, I am Hispanic uh, through, so I'm also just a little Mexican guy. But. Okay, yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> Always saw that Hispanic Mexican distinction. What what are we? What yeah, are we? it depends where you are and who you're talking to. That's that the does. distinction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, de depends what you want to get or get through. Yes, exactly. <laughs> How much do you want right now? That's going to determine what you are. Did you grow up drinking orange soda? No, no. Uh, I was, my dad was a RC cola guy. That was Oh, no, see, I was RC. See, that's so funny. <laughs> that is so funny. Was that Mexican too? You know, I don't think so. So my dad grew up in a predominantly black neighborhood. Uh, he was like, it, it's so, his life is so bizarre because he was a first generation American citizen, right? His sister, his older sister is from Mexico. He's the first one born here. Uh, English was his second language. But then he grew up in a predominantly black neighborhood, so he was into soul, funk. He was a huge Prince fan. Okay. Uh, then he gets saved in, like, the late 80s, uh, meets my mom, and then has, like, a second life complete switch, yeah. goes to seminary and all that kind of stuff. So, Whoa. yeah, crazy story. But that's just so funny because my dad's Mexican, and we had orange soda and art and, Royal, and RC. So I'm wondering if there's a connection. The RC, it might be. I'm going to have to dig into that. We got the whole other show. <laughs> Here it's Big Red. Big Red is the big thing now. That's the. Oh, okay. Yeah, Big Red. There's. Uh, oh, I wish I had a picture, but there's a, a restaurant downtown that has a mural painted with the Big Red logo on it that I get breakfast really? tacos from. Wow. And where? And where? Where are you up at again? South Texas, San Antonio, kind of an hour south of Austin. Okay. Nice. So yeah. That's awesome. Right Very cool, man. No, that's uh, that's that's really that's. That's really, really cool. That's uh, that kind of helps paint that picture. You, you, you kind of think about where we are and and who we are and kind of what shapes us. I love hearing that stuff. Yeah, it's my dad actually. So roundabout way, my dad gets me to you indirectly because he's the one who's like, hey, I bought this CD at a Christian bookstore. Maybe you'll like it. And it was a comp CD. And one of the bands on it is MXPX. Okay. Yeah. And that sends me down that rabbit hole of, nope. of finding all that stuff. And then uh, MXPX leads to Reliant K. Uh, and that's where I retroactively remember seeing you for the first time as a shirtless fan. Yeah. Shirtless in the Reliant K. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Which, by the way, the only reason why I do that stuff is because I feel bad asking someone else to do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I just like. I, so I figure if I just do it, I take the hit, then I don't have to feel uncomfortable like asking somebody to do that. You know what right. I mean? So, <laughs> so I want to get on that sellout idea for for a little bit. Yeah, um, you've made that switch to content creation. That's your big thing. I, I listen yeah. to podcasts and talk about it all the time. Content yeah. creation is the future, and there's so many people who I know from uh, people. I guess I shouldn't say I used to look up to, but who were kind of my model before okay. uh, in the art world. Who just see that as such a dirty way to look at things like it's not content it's my art right i remember billy corrigan talking about that on uh rogan he was saying that when they would talk about the product it would just sting them a little bit like ah, oh, that's my poetry that's my right my whatever but it is it is a product that you're moving so how did you break or did you ever have that art school mentality of like this is my art and then shift it to like no this is a product that i'm making for people to consume mm. yeah i yeah i don't know if i was ever that consciously um i don't think i ever i don't think i ever struggled okay with that. i mean but um i think it's just part of my story you know which is and the more i think about it and talk about it and do podcasts you, as you know now the more you force yourself to think about something or do a podcast you 
you, you are forcing yourself to have to hear your thoughts more, right? You're, mm-hmm. you're, you have to work through things a little bit more. Um, I, I've had to make stuff to make a living. Okay. Like, since I was 18, if I didn't create something that somebody paid me for, mm. I, I didn't eat. And so I, I think because of that, um, I mean, what, like the, the ability to fight for your art, which I'm fine with, um, it requires a certain amount of food on your table mm. to make it a little more extreme. But I mean, right. but like, like, what do you mean if I don't, if someone doesn't pay me for my, my craft, how, what, like, what's going to happen? I'm not, I'm, I don't pay the mortgage. <laughs> my kids don't eat. My kids don't go to school. My, mm. my, my wife doesn't have a car. So I, I, I guess, in, I guess because I started there, um, you know, it's almost like pro wrestling. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You know I mean, like, um, I think you can have an art to something, but be totally a sellout. Okay. Like pro wrestling is so absurd. <laughs> right. Like, right. It's so absurd. It's, it should almost be humiliating. Yes, completely. But it's not. Right. And to me, I sort of look at myself that way. I'm just as gnarly because those dudes are gnarly, right? Mm-hmm. No one thinks those guys are a bunch of, you know, wussies or like, like it's gnarly. So right. the, the sellout world, like you're already a sellout once you're in pro wrestling. You know the shtick, you're playing to the audience, mm-hmm. you do that thing, you know, but no one thinks you're a wussy. It just either you're into it or you're not, but mm. there's, and so for me, I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to make everybody happy. I'm trying to get people to hire me. I, I, you know, um, that's what, like, I, I have to get paid for something. And if someone's like, well, you know, we got a million dollars for a project, but you know, we want to make sure that my niece has a supporting role in it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Like, you know, um, and it's funny. I never thought much about it, but recently, I there 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 was a clip going around of an interview with Orson Welles. Okay. And they asked Orson Welles, had he ever made a choice and and hired a friend instead of hiring the best person? Mm. And he said every time. Huh. He said because at the end of the day, I will value the friendship over the art. Hmm. Something to that degree. And I was like, dang, you know what I mean? And, but I think he's, he's first of all, he's being real, but I think he's hitting at something, you know, a lot deeper. And by the way, that's Orson Welles. So <laughs> we shouldn't act as like, we shouldn't act. I shouldn't act as if like, yeah, I struggle on decisions between art and look, there's a moral line I don't cross. Right. Right. Um, but me doing something that someone thinks is lame or stupid or goofy, or, it's like, you know, like I would have a ton of pride if someone's, if I was like, I got the new Capri Sun campaign. And it's like the Capri Sun flies to the screen. And the, <laughs> and the, look, if I'm going to make a Capri Sun commercial, let's go. 
Right. I'm not going to be like, oh, I can't believe I'm doing a Capri Sun commercial. I mean, <laughs> I'm an artist. Like, and by the way, that Capri Sun gig is paying the rent. Mm. Like, I'm all about that if that Capri Sun gig comes down the line. But I've also made sure that that my art, my art lives in all the other projects I've always made room for. The mm. projects I'm financing or that I'm doing on my own time. That's where I've directed my my art. My art is in all the things that I get to do, that I spend my money and time on. It's all on me. I can do whatever I want, so I can do my art. And so to me, I've always had this balance of, I love getting paid for projects, and when I want to scratch this itch of thinking that I'm something, that I'm a genius, I'll pay, <laughs> I will pay for it. Nice. That's that's how I've kind of met those, have kind of made those two things work. Mm. And the moral line is interesting because, like you said, you've worked with Jason Mraz, uh, you've worked with Zach Brown, still with Shine Down. I, I see you posting stuff with them all the time. Yeah. Have have there ever been jobs that you had to pass pass on because of that moral line, where it's just like, I, I it sounds cool, but I just can't take it. You know, never, and which is an interesting blessing. Mm. Um, when when I was younger and MTV was really a thing, people forget you couldn't just put whatever you wanted on MTV. Right. Um, and I wasn't really doing hip hop, so I didn't have to worry about girls shaking their mm -hmm. bottoms and all that stuff. I wasn't doing those videos. And everything else, there there were still standards of what you could do and, and, and not do. So that was never really – a I, there was, that was never an issue. Once I got to a later part in my career um, – it just became clear that once the bands wanted to have naked girls in the videos, they just didn't call me. Mm. It just took care of itself. <laughs> That's interesting. Like, That's funny. Yeah. Okay. We've got this video. We're doing all the down. And then when the phone wouldn't ring, literally I would say, let's wait and see what the video looks like. And it was always like singer with hot chick in bed. Like, okay. Yeah. They, they knew it just, you know, it's like office space. It just took care of itself to not send the check. Like it just, they just, <laughs> It just took care. It so it just takes care of itself. Mm. Now I like too that you're working with those bands because you're. I, I watched. Uh, I think one of the first long form talks I watched you have was at Reform Con when you kind of talked about you know punk rock Christianity and how we all come from everywhere and we're all here now. Yeah. Um, and and you clearly had no qualms, none of that like punk rock. I'm too good for this. I'm not going to be a corporate sellout. And, and you've gotten to play in all of these different sandboxes with all of these different bands, with all of these different genres to the point where uh, I think you talked about how Jason Mraz just like lets you whatever you want to do. Like it's, it's oh, okay. Yeah. Do it. yeah. I mean, it's, and you probably couldn't have two more different worldviews, you mm -hmm. know, but when we get together, I, I think, I think we talked politics once, I think on the last album cycle, um, we talked politics so that would have been, so Trump was president and, and we had a really interesting conversation. Again, it was the only time we ever talked politics. And we talked, we talked about how it was weird that Trump was per, was the perfect boogeyman for both sides. Hmm. And we just had this really interesting conversation. Now it just, it seemed really strange that Republicans could hate him. And Democrats could hate them, and they each had a, a, a category that they were able to hate them. And we we both thought that was really fascinating. Hmm. 
that everyone was like, how how could you have Democrats and Republicans both think he's a fascist? <laughs> like, it's weird. Like, right. how, like, not different types of boogeymen. They each saw him as this thing. And that was the only time we ever talked politics. For the most part, when I get together with people to work, especially someone like Jason Mraz, that that dude is mellow and chill as people think he is. He's a savage. We we go to work. He mm. will work 25, 30 hours. It, I mean, he's ready to work. And so the thing that I connect with people on, even if we have complete worldview differences, religion differences, all that, when we show up, they know that we're going to both try to outwork the other person. And we ain't mm. got time to talk about stuff. Mm. Like, we're there to work, you know? Um, and so not a lot of that stuff really comes up. I mean, I think people are pretty clear now on what I believe and I'm out there. And so people know that. And so, um, yeah, I don't think too, again, again, I don't think too much about it because I just think I, I show up and I work and I, and I hope there's a great product and I don't shy away from being a Christian. I, I probably have slower conversations now that I'm older than I did 20 years ago. You know, I don't just jump into a presuppositional argument and start <laughs> by what standard, by what standard, by what standard. You know, I, I there's a little more nuance to the conversations right. I have with people now. Um, and we live in an age now where, where the nuances are, are even more palpable. Mm. So then the, the nuances are really interesting because you can talk to someone today and go, remember like just three years ago when it was impossible for a man to become a woman? Mm. Like three years ago. Like no one believes that. Like there's things you can really, how did we get there? What's going on? Like when does two plus two not be four? You, you can really have those conversations now, you know, COVID and okay, are we, you know, does doesn't everyone kind of think everyone got played somewhere now? Like, <laughs> right? You know, Democrats are we are we really stoked on Joe Biden? Like, you know, when you have someone like Trevor Noah on the Daily Show saying, "Look, Trump would have never let this happen." I mean, it's just right. really fascinating. Yeah, and that's I I think COVID, uh, the blessing of COVID, if I can say it that way, was that all of the facades and rules kind of broke yeah and everybody just was what they were in front street like there's no more uh niceties or small t- it's just whatever you are it's out in the open all up front which is cool but yeah i just don't think we were pre- i just don't think we were prepared for it i think i think again i think the only people that were prepared for it were christians with the backbone mm. i really believe that that those are the only people who were really prepared were Christians who had a backbone and that could be defined in a couple different ways. But those were the people who were again, and Christians with a backbone who understood the idea of culture and engagement. Mm -hmm. This was like, okay, the game is now started. Mm. Everyone else has been playing catch up. Wow. And that, I like the idea of, of Christians with a backbone, too, because 
Christians are afraid of social media. Like that's an unavoidable truth. Uh, they're they're worried about what it what it does to people, what it uh, what it can be used for, how it can shape perspectives that yeah. aren't true or aren't real. And, and you've been an advocate from it for it for a while now that it's just another tool. As long as you use it and don't let it use you, it's just another tool. Um, what what are we missing? What is what is the majority of Christians missing about social media that they're they're all still afraid of Facebook or they're all still afraid of YouTube? I, th I think it does. Okay, my my rude, shocking, maybe <laughs> trying to push the boundaries a little bit would be, um, and again, not just Christians, but let's just say Christians. The reason why they're scared of social media is because it calls their bluff. Mm, okay. Okay, now that's my, I might be right there. I, I wouldn't die on that, but, but, um, but the thing that social media does in general, so I'm, I'm happy to apply it to Christians, is it does call your bluff. Well, what's your excuse? Okay, do you want to do a podcast? Do you want to make films? Do you want to create an online course? Do you want to have an idea for a T-shirt that you can literally just set up a Shopify account mm. and just have an idea? And as long as you can communicate it, never handle a physical shirt ever. Right. But see, it calls your bluff because you say, hey, I have this great idea for a clothing line and it's a Jesus slogan thing. Well, guess what? You get to get that idea proven to you in less than 24 hours if anybody wants it. Hmm. We used to be able to take ideas and go raise money and talk about them and show right, business right. plans and you get this whole thing up and you get to and people kind of paid you to be developing. Well, once you have this great shirt idea, okay, now what? Because it's all automated now. Any shirt can be made and shipped, which right. means now all you have to do is just show people that the shirt exists and they hit a button and they buy it. And now you realize nobody cares about your shirt. Hmm. Nobody cares about your beer. Nobody cares about your shoe line. Nobody cares about your ministry. Like, what do you mean? Like, we get to find out right away. Well, but the algorithm and Instagram got all things, but it's TikTok. Okay, well, TikTok there. Well, you know, I got on TikTok and they and they banned me. Well, why did they ban you? Well, I made an abortion comment. Well, guess what? If you keep driving down the highway with aborted fetuses po posted all over your car, no one's going to talk to you. <laughs> and so everyone's like, I can't believe they stopped my car from being on the highway. I was just like, there's, it's like, you know, there is a way to use the highway for something other than an aborted fetus campaign. Mm -hmm. You use it to drive, to get to work, to get milk, to go on a vacation, to go pick somebody up from the airport. Social media has to be seen that way. There's a lot of things we can do before we jump on it. And say, oh, they don't want to hear the gospel. They don't want to hear about abortion. They don't want to hear about homosexuality. They don't want to hear about trans. They don't want to, like, look, there's there's a lot of things that can be done. So to your question, I think, one, it calls your bluff. Mm -hmm. But two, I think this is where clear thinking has to come into play, which is, or some sort of critical thinking, which is social media it's just another name for the internet. Right. So I get it. If you don't like the internet, you're not going to like 
social media, but don't tell me you hate social media, but you're all over the internet mm. or that you're on Amazon. Amazon is just the internet. So I just don't like how these arbitrary categories get made and sort of sweeping cat. Well, you know, social media is just so dumb as opposed to what 90% <laughs> of the outfits at church. <laughs> Like, are we, but that's what I mean. Like, well, well, wait a minute. Like, you know, you can not be in style. That's fine. Like, what do you, like, why are we judging someone that might not know what we think is a, is a cool shirt? Like, hmm. why are we judging what we like? Look, if it's a moral thing, that's yeah. Let's, let's find it and let's, let's beat it up. Hmm. Right. But social media is not a moral thing. It's a highway. It's how people communicate. It's how you buy things. It's how I get shampoo. It's how, guess what? My wife now gets to shop on her phone before going to bed. And at 9 a.m., I got milk there. <laughs> Walmart delivers. Amazon, del like, the food is there in the morning. Like, if you can't see the gospel and, and the growth, you know, like, so guess what? She's on her phone, goes to bed, shows up in the morning. That's two and a half hours. My wife now gets open for something else with me or the kids mm. or the home or an idea or like that's that's crazy. Like that is like I don't know if people really are really grasping that like time. The 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 gospel redeems time. Mm. And when we see it at this level and for someone to reduce it, like, oh, social media. Well, what do you mean by social media? You know, like it's just and no one's going to disagree with what someone thinks is bad about the Internet or someone thinks is bad about social media. Like we all agree about those things, but that's not but you can't just. So we have to realize that this is now the tool. This is how we communicate. And 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 and, and this brings up to like. I heard someone else say it, but, but I'm stealing it, which is why was it so much more virtuous for me to play by myself at four years old, waiting for the other kids to get home from kindergarten? Why was it so much more virtuous for, for me to be alone in the backyard with a stick as opposed to, you know, a five, six year old who's, who's, you know, playing words with friends or Fortnite? I don't know. I'm just saying, there are people who actually have friends. Mm -hmm. Like if, if that doesn't count, if that doesn't count, then me and you don't count. Mm. Oh, kids don't know how to communicate anymore. And kids don't know that like what, what did, of course they know how to communicate. What are you talking about? Hmm. They got a hundred friends they're communicating with. Like, does that not really count? So I think there's, again, it's easy, again, as if having real human friends in high school is so virtuous. Mm. Like, again, it comes down to who? Like, who? If you, if you call poison control and you say, my kid ate poison, the first question I ask is how much? It's not, oh, they ate strychnine. They're going to die. No, the first question is how much? Mm -hmm. I just think that's the, you know, 
that's the question. It's just, it's, it's how much in how much with what, mm. like I look at my screen time all the time and show people I run my business. I run my life. I run other people's businesses on this phone and I'm under five hours wow. a day of screen <laughs> time on my phone. So every time someone lectures me or tries to, I say, Hey, why don't we swap screen time right now? You show me <laughs> time, I'll show you my screen time. And, you know, and if it's not turned on, I turn on, I go, let's, let's check back in a week. My mm. screen time is always less than everybody's. And, and I'm the guy that's all about this device. That's, that's, yeah, that's crazy. I would not assume that you're under five hours a day on screen time. Because I, mine is way past that. And I'm not, you know, I'm posting on here and stuff, but not nearly at the rate that. And that's what I try to tell people. I'm, I'm like, when I go to the gym, you know, I, I, I work out a little bit and I, and I do a 20 minute. When, when I'm in my workout routine, I try to do four days a week, 20 minutes. That's it. Hmm. I have a little gym down in my barn, 20 minutes. I can hit the jump rope. I can hit some weights. I can hit the heavy bag. I can do some curls. So I hopefully get some biceps going like, and, and then, and then I'll do squats, right? 20 minutes. Uh, that's it. I set my timer. I put music on. Even if I, if I'm slow, it's 20 minutes. That's all I try to like, you know, now if I go to the gym, I got to drive to the gym, right? Let's just say it's 15 minutes to the gym. I got to get ready, warm up. When you walk in the gym, like, I got two hours by the time I drive to a gym, work out and get back. Right. Like, or I put it in my barn, you know, or you get all CrossFit style and just do push-ups and squats and get all Herschel Walker style and just push-ups, <laughs> squats, sit-ups. Like hmm. I'm more interested. And so I, I, I like finding how to use, that's what I mean by this is a tool and this is the greatest tool that has ever been handed that God has ever providentially allowed to put into our hands. This is the mm. most powerful tool that the world has ever seen. Mm. So with that, when you're talking about 20 minutes and time and time and time, are you a proponent more of uh, consistency as in a little bit every day, as opposed to the idea of like hours, hours, hours with, with projects you know, and work? No, I'm horrible at those questions. I don't think about it. Hmm. I, I think... I think we know, I, I think there's, there's, there's a bit of being intuitive, like, you know, um, a month or so ago without so much the backstory, you know, my wife looked at me and said, I need you to sleep in for the next two weeks. <laughs> like, I, I need you to stop. Hmm. Like, okay. You know, like, okay. Like, and then like, okay, like, and there's times I go hard. There's times I chill. There's, you know, the last week and a half, I said, I'm not going to work out. I'm going to eat everything. And I put 15 pounds on in 10 days, <laughs> but I'm going to get, I'll start back up tomorrow, mm. you know? Um, so I'm just not, I'm not, a, there's, there's, there's kind of times when you just, at least for me again, I, where I just, you can start to find yourself going crazy mm. when you think you can control God. 
and 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 I think there when when we think we've scheduled his creation in a particular way, I think we're meant to take dominion. We are meant to schedule. We're meant right, to right. do things. Um, I, I've come to a place of trying to be a lot more aware of like, as soon as I blink, maybe it's time to just chill or maybe it's time to mm. turn it on. Like, you know, and again, I think there's a grinding mentality for again starting out of high school and just having to pay the bills and you right. just don't you don't stop. What do you mean you stop? You know, um, but I think where we're at and what we're going through, I think dictates a lot of those things. So that's why I'm much more of a of a paradigm person than I am maybe more of a principled person. Okay, you know, I kind of like thinking more in paradigm in a paradigm sense. And part of the paradigm I think I think a lot about is. Um, you got to be open for that, for that pivot. And that can be in your diet. That can be in, you know, like, you know, I mean, I've eaten so much cake in the last week. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, I'm done with cake, you know? And, it, you know, like it just, you know, and, and, uh, you know, so I'm not sure if that answers the question, but, uh, but I think I'm much more of a paradigm person than, than I am a principled, you know, I think, yeah, I think we go through seasons. Right. No, and that makes sense. I mean, this this season, I guess, has been a weird one for us. We're we're on our second kid. Uh, he's four months old now, right? So we have a four month old and a four year old. Okay. Uh, we're about to our lease is about to be up, so we're trying to move. <laughs> uh, <laughs> both of my parents passed away, so we lost like some help with the kids and everything. Wow. Uh, yeah, I know it's been nuts. And then on top of all that, this morning I was grumpy because like, why well, didn't get to go skateboarding? And it's funny. But this is my point. But this is my point, right? Like, there's no. There's there's no systematic routine that would have got that gets you through this now. Right. Yeah. It really is. It's like, well, today, I don't know. Let me hold on for today, because that's all I got. Really. Right. Right. And so when those things hit, it's okay. Like it's, you know, I think what hits me even more he said is like, you know, parents and not just loss of, of loss of anybody, but I mean when you when that's been a part of your of your help right. infrastructure, that's heavy. Yeah. You know, those, those are heavy things. And so I, I, when you say that, it's like, I think, I think we have to keep those things in mind, which is why I don't like a lot of formulaic type things. Mm -hmm. I don't think they really take into consideration the day you're having, Mm. you know? So I just kind of go like, I don't know, man, you gotta, you know, I mean, that's, those are things where you kind of go, okay, now. I think having some of those structures are good because then you know what to get back to. So, I mean, I think that's really, Mm -hmm. really good, but man, we get curveballs all the time. Yeah. And I I think we haven't learned that by now, two years into, I mean, COVID variants, wars, mandates, no mandates, uh, masks, no masks. You can't go in, you can't go in work from like, everything's changing all the time, constantly. What are you going to do? Yeah. We had a lot of, um, you were talking about it being a blessing and I think it's been an insane blessing because man, we've, we've now run through every live scenario. Mm. You know, we were just short of concentration camps (laughs) here in America. Like we were just short of that. And by the way, 
that opened my eyes to, oh, because we all have guns. Mm. That's it. That's, you know, you know, like, I'm not a, I mean, I'm a Second Amendment guy. I own, I even made a documentary on it. But I mean, like, I'm not a, I'm not a gun guy. Right. I mean, I carry, but I mean, I'm not a gun guy, but I'm a gun guy. And, but I mean, like, when you realize what, what practical element, ingredient, was in the American mix that we weren't Australia mm. in this situation. And even the the weirdness and the gnarliness that it got to, like it why why would that step not have been taken? Well, it didn't get taken because you couldn't. Right. We are armed. We 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 are an armed country. And at the end of the day, nobody was gonna do that. Mm. And I think, oh my goodness, now now you go back to these idiots, right, that wrote this constitution and <laughs> you know, what did they know back then, right? And what are we still dealing with now? Free speech, right to bear arms. Right. Meaning maybe people don't think about the right to bear arms, but that free speech and then the right to bear arms. Well, this whole free speech thing was was pushed and pushed and tested and tested, and we've now lived through or living through another form of segregation. Mm. Jim Crow laws, like we are, like it's here. There's just a new God or a new standard that people are appealing to that is still the same reason for what's best for everybody else, mm -hmm. whether people know it or not. But the reason why we didn't get the beatings and the fire hoses is because we got guns. Mm. I really believe that. And that was kind of a gnarly realization. Like, oh, you know, like, you know, you think of, I live in a small town, but it's, you know, 30,000 people or so, but that's a police force of under a hundred. And things started getting a little draconian and things were getting a little gnarly down here. My mm -hmm. friend Gabe Ranch and the Bonets got arrested at our Psalm Sing and stuff like that. And we kept pushing back with more Psalm sings and stuff like that. But what hit me one day was the reason why it was never going to get beyond what happened with three people getting arrested is because there's less than a hundred. There's probably less than 50 people at, at the police force with weapons. If hmm. a thousand dudes wanted to show up with ARs, <laughs> at, like are, are, do they want to have that war? Mm -hmm. Like, and could they win that war? No. Like you start to realize the checks and balances of, of firearms, mm. like 20, 30, 40 people. Let's say you even had them all in and committed against, you know, I know 2000 people who, who, if they had to, would at least show up and say, leave us alone. Mm. Like 50 doesn't beat 2000. I mean, that played out. And I think we forgot about it. The, uh, I, I don't remember where he was, the farmer, uh, Bundy. Right. Yeah. When they wanted to take his land and he was like, well, not only are you not going to, these guys are going to make sure you don't. Right. And he won. They stood. He, down. he won. And, and again, those were just, those were the wild pre-COVID days where we kind of went, oh, gosh. Right. All these people talking about government overreach and 
I don't even think we know the shift in psyche of the American people because we were already crazy and we already have enough guns. <laughs> I mean, now people have more guns and there's been more than enough things confirmed <laughs> in regards to what government will do. As much as I think you've got that Jordan Peterson, like they push you, they pull back, they push you they, before you know it. You're mm-hmm. so you're a mile back. I don't think, I don't think they got far mm. as it's just really crazy. The overreach was so insane that I actually think you have more Democrats and Republicans to keep it easy aligned than right. ever before. And they, and they lost somewhere between five to 10% of public school kids. Right. Right. That's a lot. If you say we're fighting this army slowly and we took out 10%, I mean, that's a gnarly number. Mm. So I just don't think, and, and then the midterms are coming up and how that's going to shake out. And, and obviously no one's trying to get Biden for more. Right. Two years from now. Like, it's just, man, like the overreach, it was so bad. I just don't know who thinks this all worked out well. Mm. I think I, I, I'm I'm surprised because I thought, I mean, there's still people who are still, we went to the zoo not too long ago and there was a whole family that was still masks, face shields, uh, don't touch me, all that stuff. And I'm like, after everything, after all the stuff that they said was a lie, that's true, right? That now we know is true, or at least they're admitting like, well, it could be true. And all the fudge numbers and and fake stats. Like, why are you still doing that? What's, well, what are you- well, I think, you know, there's the, you know, God God tells Gideon to go look at the men down by the water to get his yes. arm, right? And it's the, you know, who puts their face into the water mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. who scoops it up and drinks out of it. I mean, I think we're, I mean, I think we have a Gideon moment here now mm. that, is a gift that keeps on giving. Like we were driving, we were driving and uh, my daughter, I think it was my young, my second oldest though. So at the time, either 14 or 15 and we're driving down the road and there's a kid in a car coming past us, teenage kid with a mask in his car by himself. And my, and my daughter said, clearly somebody I'll never marry. <laughs> like, you think about, the signs we get now, like the, like just, you're just going to wear that. Oh, you know what? Good to know. Right. Wow. There you are. I know everything about you now. Mm. Even if it was that you're just a weird germaphobe. Right. Because ultimately I still don't want to hang out with germaphobes either. <laughs> like I don't hate them. Right. But like, I don't want to go party with you or go on a trip with you. You're a germaphobe. Mm. Like, that's not going to be fun. So the fact that people are still wearing things and doing stuff, I'm like, okay, I just, I just know you ain't my tribe. Mm. Like, I ain't gonna like roll the, with you. Like, I like the tribe thing too because it's I, I've I've had to start getting comfortable with uh, conspiracy theorists as a, as people because mm-hmm. it's like okay, we're all the same people because like yeah, you believe in some stuff that's kind of out there and crazy, but at least you're fun and like you're not gonna get run over. So we're in the same group as far as that goes. Yeah, we sort of opened up the lane, right? Yes. Of, 
get like who we get to ride with now. It's like, so, okay, like I'm cool with you now. Like, you know, like, you know. I want to I want to hit you with some lightning round stuff before I let you go. But before that, I do got to ask, uh, I, I saw the video where you talk about when you hung out with Danzig, which already is crazy. Uh, but, but, you, <laughs> but you mentioned that you had done some work for Malibu Comics, which is a name that I never hear anymore. Um, my, my dad was a big comic book guy, so I've always been obsessed with comics forever. Wow. But when you mentioned Malibu, I'm like, what, Malibu, like Prime and Ultra Force yeah. and all that? How, yeah. did, how did you get mixed up with Malibu? So I wanted to be a comic book artist. I kind of got all my rejection letters. Um, but in my town where I lived, again, providentially, in Thousand Oaks where I lived, or right on the border there, um, one of the towns, Malibu Comics, I was Malibu Comics was in my town. and But at the time... Yeah late eighties, early nineties, it was just, it was the black and white run. So you had the mm -hmm. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, right. was coming out black. So this black and white punk rock movement of comics was coming out. And then there was Malibu comics had men in black, men in black before ah, it was, yeah, a movie yeah. was a comic book, right? Um, men in black, couple other ones. And so I knew, of course, if you're a comic book geek, you're like, you're going to know there's a comic book company in your town right, right. <laughs> and i was like this is so cool and so i knew they were always there i would submit my work to them same thing i just no you're just not good enough whatever okay i get it um but friends in high school so out of high school friend of mine mentions that another one of our mutual friends father owned a gaming company and that gaming company just merged with malibu comics wow and I said, you know what? Can you get me an interview? And he goes, I could try. And then he called and said, hey, Scott Rosenberg, who was the owner and president of the comics, he'll see you. Wow. And I went in at 19 or 20 years old and I pitched to them how they should be making films or at least commercials or campaigns or maybe short films of their characters and be developing i didn't have the nuance then but i right. i was basically saying we should develop some of this these intellectual properties into movies and then you could pitch them and mm. you know but scott had just sold men in black to spielberg wow so he kind of when i came in talking about this he was like okay and uh he said we have a character called hard case why don't we do a short film? I'll give you 10 grand. Let's do a short film. And I said, okay, let's do the short film. But let's also talk about where my head was then. I said, let's also document the making of. Mm -hmm. So we'll have a making of, we'll have the short film. And then instead of a number one edition, we'll package it with a number zero short film VHS. And he's like, let's do that. But then it also ended up being content on the video wall monitors at the comic book conventions right. and all that stuff that we were doing. So I went in, I pitched, they gave me the, I got the first project. They loved wow. it. They hired me. I ran their entertainment division at like the age of 20 for like wow. 14 or 15 months. And then Marvel bought Malibu comics, right. dissolved it, kept the characters they wanted. And that was it. But I mean, I got to live out my dream. I went to every comic book convention in the U.S., I went to the Philly Con and the Oakland Con and San Diego Con. And, like, it was just, like, so to wanting to draw comics, and then I'm hanging with all – I got to meet every 
artist legend that I loved and got to become friends with them. So God had a really cool way to, to even do something crazier with my love of comic books. Wow, that's amazing. Is that hard case uh, film? Of Does that exist anywhere? I mean, I it, I think you can find it somewhere on YouTube. I th- maybe. I did a thing for, I think Firearm was another character. Mm-hmm. You can find that somewhere on YouTube. Someone's got okay. that somewhere. But the actor that played hard case was this really cool kind of, you know, action level dude named Gary Daniels and Gary Daniels played the part of hard case. So I got to meet Gary Daniels and then ended up doing like a couple kind of low budget feature film action movies with Gary Daniels later. So it all, it all tied in. That's awesome. That's crazy. I, I've, I've been obsessed with comic books my whole life. Uh, one of, I used to work at a comic book store and uh, one of the funniest experiences I had was we had Neil Adams in to do a signing. Yeah. I don't know how, but we did. And wow. uh, I, I kind of snuck off and just kind of hung out at the table when I was supposed to be on the clock, but just kind of watching him draw and talk to people and tell old comic book stories. It was, just, it was a. It so was at that time, so wait. So at that time, what was Neil drawing? Uh, he was doing Batman Odyssey uh, for DC. Oh. Yeah, and he was doing. He was signing hardcovers for like everybody who was coming in. But yeah, I met him. A, I have a couple. Oh man, it's not in here. I have it put away somewhere. I have a big. Neil did all that like mutant stuff too, right? Neil did did, did like. Did Neil also do long shot and all that? Oh, I don't know if he did long shot. I know he they brought him in on X-Men when it was dying because he wanted the yes. worst selling title. He was like, give me the worst one and I'll flip it. And they gave him X-Men right before they rebooted with Wolverine and everybody. Uh, and okay. he did uh he did Green Arrow. He did the whole redesign on that. I have a Green Arrow sign print from him. That's one of the one of my favorite things I have. But oh wow, no way. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, I'm I can get real geeky so you just you, you just gotta be careful man gotta well, be well, real careful with that comic book stuff we'll do a part two with my buddy here we actually we met in the comic book store that's how we started working together oh, um really? yeah yeah we we were both working he got me the job and then uh we both started doing that so i love it okay yeah. so there's a lightning round there's a lightning round i want to hit you with some stuff and you just tell me if you have an answer that's fine if you don't that's fine too but i just want to know some of your favorites okay okay so, I'm, so, I'm trying to actually jog my mind on all the Neil Adams stuff right now. So you like totally sidetracked me, you know. On, <laughs> um, I just want to go on the. Uh, oh gosh, yeah. Oh my goodness, yeah. I remember uh, all the Neil Adams stuff. Oh gosh, yeah. Mainly, I mean, he was mainly DC then, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, mainly DC. Oh, that's right. And then that X-Men run. Okay, right. Okay. All right, I'm getting sidetracked. I'm good. I'm uh, lightning round. <laughs> he draws my favorite Batman, the the Ra's al Ghul years where Batman's like shirtless and sword fighting and all that yeah. 70 stuff was oh, it was great. Oh, okay. I'm just going right. to don't get sidetracked. Hey, lightning round. I'm ready. Go lightning ahead. round. Okay. Uh, favorite movie? JFK. Oh, okay. Uh, favorite filmmaker. Mm. Probably Oliver Stone. All right. Uh, favorite album. I'm going to skip favorite album and, but go favorite song. Okay which I think is even more impressive to say like 
I'll say favorite song of all time. <laughs> okay, favorite song. Right? Rush, Tom Sawyer. Oh, okay, okay. Going dad rock, I like it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, favorite music video you didn't make? It's both are black and white, two different okay. genres. Um, Straight Up by Paula Abdul and The Unforgiven by Metallica. Nice. All right. Man, worlds apart, too. Yep. <laughs> uh, favorite camera? Hmm. My favorite camera is, well, I mean, I love the iPhone, but I have a a soft spot for the um, Panasonic DVX, which then became the Panasonic HVX. But the Panasonic DVX was the first consumer, prosumer, um, digital, well, digital tape, but it was 24 frames and then looked and was basically filmed because it filmed mm -hmm. the 24 frames. That camera changed everything and it changed my career, changed my life. So the so I'd probably go with the Panasonic HVX or mm. our DVX. Do you mess with GoPros at all? I I, I don't. Oh man, I love weird? GoPros. I love I've them. I've tried. I've tried. I don't know how I'm a filmmaker <laughs> and I can't get through the click button on just how to get to film mode and like time lap. I'm like, how is every dad in the world making ski videos and snowmobiling videos? And I literally can't even figure out the menu. You know, I, well, I'll have to get you the app. You do it from your phone now. There's an app. You can control the camera. Way easier. Cuts it down. Oh. Uh, <laughs> favorite filming location you've ever been on? Mm. Boy, I'd have to rack my brain on that. Uh, favorite filming location I've ever been on? I'm probably just going to draw a blank, but you, but you know... Um, Man, I'm gonna pass. Man, that's good. That's okay. good. Okay, I'll come back. <laughs> uh, favorite book? Mm. Favorite book? Um, Paradise Restored by David Chilton. Mm, nice. All right. Uh, favorite Instagram accounts? Ooh. Um, Again, it's funny. I don't spend a lot of time um, on Instagram. It's weird. I mean, I use it. I interact with people. Um, my favorite um, Instagram account, it would probably be, hmm, I'm blanking on the name. I follow a couple just really obscure photographers mm, Okay. Who, who don't do photography for a living right uh, like rural rural analytics rural mm. but um just people that do, i just i kind of like looking at photography i'm still everyone says everyone's a photographer these days i mean i'm I, that so what i'm amazed <laughs> at just the photography people do now and the access and because of that access seeing people's seeing what people see mm -hmm. um so that's probably you know um yeah, because I don't do a lot of, 
I just kind of follow my feed. So I'd have to probably look at okay. see what's popping. Hmm. Favorite YouTube channel, if you have one. I, I don't watch anything on YouTube. Oh, man. All right. Last I know. one. Last one. And I, I, I might know where you're going to go with it, but that's one to know. One piece of film advice you would give somebody. Um, make something you can finish. Just, just mm. beginning, middle, end. Whether it's five seconds, ten seconds, just, just finish it. Beginning, middle, end. Like, just find something that that you know what those three beats are, and just and just finish it, and then go do another one. Just get it out of your system, you know. Um, and then if it was okay to filmmakers that are already doing stuff, my my advice would be kind of connected, which is just don't don't get in debt trying to make movies. Work mm. as much as you can telling stories that you can do on your own dime, on your own time, and then it will come to you. Don't don't overextend yourself. Because awesome. I think that gets tied with filmmaking. It's like right. So I I, I would rather connect those things. Awesome. Cool. Darren, thank you so much for all of this all over the place we went, but I feel like we hit some stuff that I wasn't expecting, but Hey, it was good. It was worth it. So, uh, <laughs> love it, man. I know you have uh, a new podcast. Do you have anything else you want to plug? I just dropped. Um, I've been, I do have a, I have a new series called all my friends are heretics. That I just dropped episode one to yesterday and it's going to be, and it's three and a half hours with uh, Douglas Wilson, where we just go through all mm. the controversies. And I'm sort of using this new this new show. Um, you know, everyone thinks everyone's a heretic, depending on where you're at. And so I just, right. I, I, I loved kind of making fun of that, that all my friends are heretics. And I really want to, and I, I'm using this, this new podcast to have three, four hour con- in-depth conversations with people. Mm. Um who I think just have really unique, deep worldview, culture interaction. And I want to be able to sit down with people and have those conversations in person when they can make mm. it to Moscow, Idaho, sit with them. Um, I just found out James White's going to be in town. I'd oh, love to nice. do three or so hours with James White. Um, I want to go all on the spectrum and have these conversations with people, scratch that theology, typology, Bible geek, but also that comic <laughs> book geek in me to sit down with people and get geeky. Right. So I just launched All My Friends Are Heretics. Um, the first one is up on the Fight Lab Feast Network, but the video will be dropping on YouTube on Friday. So the video component will have its own mm. page on YouTube and it, it'll all be there. So that's, that's my newest project. I've been talking about that. Cool. Uh, where can we find your films and stuff? I have no idea. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing, right? I mean, um, um, there's stuff. There's some projects over on the Canon app. Um, okay. If you go to, I mean, I've got. If if you go to the Doan Network, slowly I'm building the DoanNetwork.com. Mm-hmm. You go to DoanNetwork.com, slowly you'll be able to reach everything there. Um, Cross Politic, the Fight Last Feast Network. All my stuff's going to be over there as well. I'm trying to have all my films, all my projects everywhere so everyone can consume them. I think a lot of my projects are on YouTube now. So, you know, I've done a horrible job at collecting that database. I'm trying to work on that this year. 
Nice. And if you're lucky on Amazon, you can find uh, Punk Rock Music Video School, I think. <laughs> I, I might have the last copy, but... Do you have a copy of that? I have. I found it on Amazon. I, I, I saw it, yeah. That's some gold, man. I still stand by that. I, I stand by that. I was shocked that I found it. I was like, wow, this exists. I'm going to get it. So <laughs> I'm going to be recreating all that stuff. This year, I'm going to do a whole online film school. I'm going to do a whole online kind of everything at some point this year and I, i'm definitely going to go and re and redo that awesome cool well until next time guys uh hopefully solomon will be back next week maybe at a new time but we'll figure it out uh until next time see ya thank you so